As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to another segment of Raising Daughters. This is Dr. Tim Jordan. I'm a de developmental and behavioral pediatrician. Uh, I gave up my medical practice about 30 years ago and I started counseling kids. And in the last eight or 10 years now, I've been only working with girls in my counseling practice, in my weekend retreats, in my summer camps with our Strong Girls, Strong World School program. So I have a lot of experience working with kids sitting with kids in circles, really listening to what's going on for them today. And I've noticed that there's a lot more girls being diagnosed and medicated these days. A lot of depression, anxiety, um, and I worry sometimes that I think we're too quick to label, to diagnose, and to medicate kids who look different, who act different, who don't match our expectations for how we think they should be acting, kids who are hard to parent or they're hard to teach in the classroom, kids that's, uh, who are having temper tantrums, kids who are angry, kids who seem sad, kids who seem out of sorts, kids who are restless. I think sometimes the first inclination is to give them a label, and, and I think far too often medicate as well. And that's label and diagnose before we really get a sense of what's really going on. So I thought I would uh, share with you some stories of some real patients to illustrate my point. And I'm going to uh, talk about three girls, one who's seven years of age, one who's 17, and one who's 18. And they're, I'm going to change their names so that uh, I'm going to use uh, fake names, if you will. But the stories are real. The first girl I'm going to talk about is Hannah. Hannah was seven years old when I saw her in my counseling practice. And, and the report was that she was sad and had been refusing to go to school after about uh, two months into, into her first grade year. She was having major temper tantrums in the morning, stomach aches, didn't want to go to school. And so there was a worry that she was depressed. There, there is some depression that runs into the family. Uh, the pediatrician had wondered if they should start her on some medication, but the mom wanted to see someone like me first, so she did. And I had a couple different uh, things that popped up when I talked to, to this little girl, Hannah. One of them was, recently, she had asked her mom to look at a picture, a photograph of her and her older sister. And she said to her mom, what do you see in the picture? And the mom answered, well, I see two strong, beautiful, creative girls. And Hannah said, I see my sister Reese, who is so beautiful, but I just see ugly for me. So that, of course, made the mom upset because she was worried about eating disorders and poor self-esteem and, and all kinds of things that flash through the minds of, of parents today who have girls. 
especially the low self-esteem one. Because when I was talking to this little girl, she didn't appear to have low self-esteem to me. And once I talked to her just for a little while that first visit, I got a little story from her that was revealing. She told me that one day in kindergarten the previous year, one of the more popular girls, as she described her, one of the more popular girls said to the whole group one day at, at recess that out of everybody in their class, that Hannah was the ugliest one. Well, that hurt Hannah deeply. And ever since that day, she had felt ugly. Um, she's a very deep, sensitive little soul. And so she took that to heart. And I wrote down a, a quote that she said to me. This is word for word. She said, I feel like a flower. If I have a bad day with like a mean girl drama kind of thing going on, it's like a petal falls off of my flower. If it's a good day and I'm happy, my flower grows back and I get the petals back too. So I didn't see Hannah as being a girl with poor self-esteem or a girl who was depressed or had anxiety disorder. What I saw was a little girl who had a reason for feeling upset about things at school and hadn't really worked it through. So I helped her re-decide that whole thing about feeling ugly based upon that girl's comment. I helped her understand why kids might say things like that, disrespectful, mean things, if you will. Um, and I think that, that level of understanding helped Hannah a lot. I gave her some tools, which I've talked about in previous podcasts and blogs about uh, keeping your power and using tomato words. So I gave her some of those skills, and that also gave her some more confidence. And when I saw her back for a follow-up, there was no problem with her going to school. So she didn't have uh, a disorder. She didn't have an anxiety disorder, or she didn't deserve a diagnosis of school refusal. She, what she had was an incident, an experience in her life, that she hadn't processed well. She made some unhealthy decisions about herself because of it. And because of her, her uh, sensitive nature, she was having a hard time letting it go and figuring out what to do about it. She just needed some guidance. Let's move on to another girl. I'm going to call her Abby. Abby was 17. And I saw her in the office because her parents were worried because she had a very verbally and physically abusive boyfriend. And Abby also told me that she was feeling used by her friends, like they only called her if they needed something. And she told me that she felt like a doormat. Abby also had a, a really hard time making decisions in her life, and she was really stressed out with the whole college process. She was in the first semester of her senior year in high school, and she knew there were some big, de time, big decisions coming up, and she couldn't even make little ones. She had seen a psychiatrist four months previous, and she had been diagnosed with depression. She was started on Prozac, but Abby told me it hadn't really made much of a difference after four months. It was interesting, too, that I heard from her parents and from Abby that she began life as a really independent-minded, outgoing, kind of spunky kid. And things started to change around third grade. She, she just lost her zip. Um, she wasn't herself, her parents said. And when I questioned and talked to Abby by herself and listened, she told me a story about third grade. She said when she went to a parent-teacher conference with her mom one evening, and she overheard her third grade teacher tell her mom that she was too bossy, and if Abby didn't change, she was never going to have any friends in school. Abby overheard that, and she was devastated. And she started uh, judging how she was, and she felt like she was being too, too this and too that, and she was too loud and, and too powerful, and so she shut down. She was so afraid of making people mad or disappointing people 
She stopped advocating for herself because she was worried others might judge her. She started acquiescing to all of her friends' every demand, if you will, and mostly because of her fear of being judged as a bitch or, 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 by, or, or her fear of losing friends. And all of that was causing her to have poor boundaries. So after talking about it and through some tears as well, I helped Abby reframe some of her negative beliefs about herself. That what the teacher said in third grade did not mean she shouldn't be herself and be powerful and advocate and all those things. It just, uh, she needed to decide what she wanted to be like. She decided she, and she did decide that she wanted to embrace herself. She wanted to accept that she was a powerful person. And she needed to understand that some people were just not going to like her because of that. Some girls might be blown away. Um, and she was going to, she decided that she still wanted to be herself and that people who were going to be her true friends would love her for who she was. I also taught her that when someone asked her what she wanted, instead of saying, I don't know, or I don't care, which was a bad habit she'd gotten into, I taught her instead to pause, go inside to try and figure out what she, what was right for her, and then to start speaking out again and, and asking people for what she wanted, giving people her opinion and then to check out her results. And the results were nothing happened. She didn't make people mad. She didn't lose friends. That was her fear for all those years, but it really wasn't true. So she started to advocate again for herself, and she started to regain her confidence. And as her confidence grew, her boundaries improved right along with it. I saw her for a couple of visits, two or three visits, and by the third visit, she was not depressed at all. She got her spunk back. She got her zip back. She felt more confident. She, was, she started out by making small decisions, and then she felt more confident that she'd be ready to make more of the big ones, like choosing a college, for instance. So what Abby needed was, she needed someone to help her process through what had happened to her, and she also needed someone to help her look at herself in a different way, to make sure she knew that, that because she was a powerful person, she might stir people up. That's going to happen for the rest of her life. And she just needs to accept that part, that some people may not like her because of her power, and some people would, would think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Last but not least, a girl I'll call Maria, who was 18 years of age, and she was in her se- first semester for her senior year in high school. I saw her because she had felt sad and kind of empty for the past year. And that was despite a lot of good things happening in her life. She had a 4.0 GPA, and she was taking hard classes, too. She had been in, in a couple of plays and had good parts. She played three different sports, and she was a captain of two different sports teams. Her, these are varsity teams her junior year in high school. She was incredible. She was on some kind of a leadership uh, council at her school, and she was picked by her school to be the representative uh, at some kind of a, a national leadership conference the summer before. Despite all those good things going for her, Maria didn't feel good. She felt sad and empty. And this is her quote, too. And I wrote this down word for word. I feel like I'm trapped inside a shell of myself and just surviving. I don't share those feelings with anybody because I don't want to burden them with my problems. But I want to get out of this rut of feeling tired all the time and hopeless and excluding myself. I want to feel like it's okay to not be fine all the time. When I heard those words, I knew that Maria was very insightful and it was not going to take a lot for her to switch it. Um, I also learned from her past history that her parents separated when she was a little girl. And they had had a lot of problems getting along. 
and both of her parents independently leaned on Maria for comfort. They were using her as a confidant, and especially her mom. And she liked knowing what was going on, and she felt really valuable because she was like their therapist, if you will. But it also felt over, she felt overburdened. Um, she also didn't want to end up depressed like her dad, who has his drinking problem. And she told me she has always felt like an adult since she was about six years of age, and that she just wanted to be a kid. I've, I've met a lot of girls like that who have grown up really quick because of issues in their family. On the positive side, they become uber, uber mature and, over, and very responsible, uh, very independent. They know how to take care of themselves. On the other hand, sometimes they don't know how to turn it off, and they don't allow other people to take care of them. I also uh, explained to Maria that she was going through a touch point. And for more information on touch points, go back to my previous podcasts and blogs about that. But touch points are times in, in our lives. These are kids, teens, and adults, when we're about to go through a big leap in development. And for Maria, it was her senior year in high school. She was going to be you know, going on to something in her life, going off to college. That's a huge touch point for, for girls. And right before they make that leap, people tend to get out of sorts. Crabby, moody, up and down, don't feel like themselves. They have one foot in the future and one foot in the past. There's oftentimes some ambivalence about growing up. Think about two-year-olds, five or six-year-olds, middle school girls during puberty, high school seniors, college seniors, uh, the months before you get married, uh, the months before you have your first kid. Think about menopause. Think about empty nests. Those are all touch points where people tend to fall apart and they don't feel like themselves. A lot of emotions around that. Uh, also because Maria had one foot in the future because she couldn't wait to go away to college, but she also didn't want to leave home and felt worried that her parents would be okay. Because of all that, she was never in the present moment and therefore could not enjoy the present moment, which is why when she was even being a star in the soccer field, she couldn't enjoy the moment because she was not there. She also, I think, became aware that she liked to stay busy because she didn't want to think about her problems. She did not want to feel all the feelings associated with the issues in her family. She felt really valuable taking care of everybody, but she didn't allow people to take care of her, and she was not taking care of herself. Maria, like a lot of young girls I'm seeing in this day and age of, of pressure, Maria felt like a human doing instead of a human being. So I helped Maria become aware of why she was feeling sad and empty, the touch points, the issues with her family, not being in the present moment, among other things. Um, I helped her reframe her feelings as being normal, especially the touch point feelings. All the feelings that come around those, those leaps in development, those are all normal, and they only become a problem if we deny them, stuff them, and don't express them. I like to go back to the old expression, what's not expressed becomes unmanageable. And she was seeing me because it had become unmanageable. I also reframed that whole thing about letting other people be there for her. That it wasn't a burden, but, but on the flip side, it was actually a, a gift. Just like she loves to be there for people, she felt valuable, felt good about helping others. She was robbing them of the opportunity to help her and be there for her. And that kind of stuck home for her. Because she, she cared about people. So she made some commitments to take care of herself. Um, I also told her parents to stop using her as a confidant. There needed to be some separation in that way. 
I told her parents to talk to other adults, talk to their therapist, but not to talk to Maria about their problems, that she needed to sort of just handle her own stuff, and that was just adding too much to her plate. As she started letting go of herself, as her parents started to back off from that part, when I saw her follow-up, she was much lighter. She did a good job of working on staying in the moment, moment, and we talked about how to savor each moment, which she also thought was really cool. She also started making decisions about activities, about doing things because she wanted to, instead of doing things because she wanted to be the best or to prove herself, to look good, things for her college application. She started making choices that were more about what do I want. And that had been something she had had a hard time doing before. It's also one of the reasons why she wasn't getting much joy out of the things she was doing because she wasn't doing it for her reasons. She also made a big decision to stop seeing her dad on weekends because the relationship was really toxic and he was struggling with um, abusing alcohol and other things. So that was really important for her to kind of have some space from that to take care of herself. So as, as you can see, I hope, from Hannah's story and from Abby's story and Maria's story, that when you see, see girls or, you're, or you have a daughter who's showing you some symptoms of being out of sorts, girls who don't seem like themselves, if they're a little bit sad or they're sleeping more or they seem a little anxious or they just don't seem like they're on their game, I would suggest you don't jump to diagnosis, diagnoses. But instead, and not to just focus on the symptoms, but to try and figure out what's behind them. What's causing the symptoms? Just like with Hannah, it was caused by that comment from a girl the year before. There's always something that kind of stimulates things. And once you figure out what's really going on, then you can address those issues, deal, help, the, help that girl deal with those, and then see what happens. Most of the girls I see don't need medication. They don't need a diagnosis. They just need some therapy. They just need some help. They need some awareness. They need some reframing. They need to reframe some old negative faulty beliefs about things that have happened. And they also need tools to handle life experiences and to handle their emotions. With, with that awareness in, in hand and with, with some reframing and with some new tools, in my experience, most girls uh, write the ship pretty quick. Now, there obviously are some kids who have, have a sort of a medical reason for being depressed. There may be a family history, and there, there may be some issues that do require medication. I'm not saying no kids need medication, but what I'm saying is the vast majority, in my experience, do not when they come to us with symptoms of anxiety, depression, and being out of sorts. So don't jump to conclusions. Don't jump to diagnoses. Don't jump to, don't jump to medications. Instead... Figure out what's behind it, understand that, give girls the understanding and the awareness that they need to process through things, give them tools, and then watch them bloom. I hope that helps you to understand your daughters and also your sons for that matter. Helps you to see them in a different light. I do really appreciate you coming by every week to listen to, or every two weeks to listen to these podcasts and also reading the blogs. Go on my website at, at uh, drtimjordan.com, www.dr, like Dr. Tim Jordan.com. There's lots of information about the weekend retreats coming up this fall, uh, summer camps, uh, my books. Um, I came out with a new book, Letters from My Grandfather, Timeless Wisdom for a Life Worth Living, about a month ago. I really geared it for, for girls who are in high school and college and in their 20s. 
but it's also for parents to understand the pressures and the stresses that their daughters are going through. Check all that out on the website. Uh, Tell your friends about this podcast and my blogs. I appreciate you stopping by. I will see you back here in two weeks for a new podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.